Welcome to episode 68 of the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thank you for joining us. Our lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. And today we're recording in front of a live audience at Issa Nova's monthly meeting. Uh, uh, it's really a pleasure to be here. Uh, I have a question for the audience. Uh, how many people went to the first walkabout that we had uh, at the Washington Firehouse? Anybody? For our podcast audience, I see about 150 hands right here. <laughs> All right. Thanks to, uh, to MITRE for sponsoring this. Uh, thanks, Steve Batista, for uh, the introduction. Uh, uh, let me introduce our panel. Uh, uh, Alan Cohn, uh, former Assistant Secretary for Strategy Pal- Planning Analysis and Risk at the DHS Office of Policy, is here. Uh, Michael Vadis is a regular. Uh, he's uh, uh, formerly with the FBI and the Justice Department and now in our New York office. Uh, our guest today introduced earlier was uh, Julian Sanchez, uh, who's a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, uh, where he studies issues at the busy intersection of technology, privacy, and civil liberties, with a special focus on national security and intelligence surveillance, which is why we are constantly disagreeing with each other, and I expect will tonight as well. I'm Stuart Baker, formerly with the NSA and DHS, holding the record for returning to Steptoe to practice law more times than any other lawyer. And yes, I did offer to represent somebody, anybody pro bono who so conclusively hacks a voting uh, a system that it dies as a policy idea in America for 100 years. Uh, uh, it should. Uh, it's just outrageous. Yeah, let the record reflect. We got uh, applause for that. Uh, I, it's, yeah, but I think I think you said, or I think you intended, that that offer applies only in uh, Democratic states, not Republican states. No, I I, I I do not care because whoever loses is going to think they were robbed. Uh, it's it's just as uh, uh, Republicans discover their inner civil libertarian about six years into a Democratic uh, uh, regime. Um, so I, we should start with exactly that, the Republicans discovering their inner civil libertarian. Uh, this, this week in NSA, uh, um, the status of NSA's 215 metadata program is still in doubt. The House has abolished it, uh, uh, proposed to abolish it with the USA Freedom uh, uh, Act, uh, uh, sent it to the Senate, and uh, uh, their majority leader, McConnell has no interest in passing it, but will put it up for a vote. He's only putting it up for a vote, I predict, because he uh, is reasonably confident it will not get the necessary votes to pass, uh, at which point he will start looking for an alternative, uh, um, maybe just a tweak or two to the, uh, to the bill. I know that there are a variety of tweaks being worked on uh, uh, in the Intelligence Committee, uh, uh, but uh, no one knows exactly what will be proposed other than that uh, uh, it's likely that it's going to take more than uh, um, this week to finish the work. And uh, uh, my guess is that the Senate will end up proposing to uh, the House either an alternative to USA Freedom or a two-month extension to work out the details of that, whether the the House will actually adopt that uh, uh, extension is considerably in doubt, uh, and uh, uh, that raises the prospect, I guess, of three possibilities. Either uh, um, the program is uh, reauthorized, which is what the Senate wants to do, but I think since the House has voted not to, not going to happen, or the uh, entire 215 sunsets, because nobody can agree on legislation to extend it, even though 
everybody says they want much more than just extending it, uh, uh, or what, want, some, want to do something to extend some of the uh, authorities, uh, or we'll get some variant of USA freedom. Uh, um, Julian, what do you think? Well, so at this point, just in terms of the point, uh, at this point, uh, uh, just from a timing perspective, the options really are USA Freedom and Sunset, at least in the immediate term. There's just uh, not time left before recess for uh, to, for to, uh, closure to, ripe, to ripen, and then and then uh, uh, for the House to be able to pass even a, a temporary extension. So uh, immediately, the Senate has to either just pass the USA Freedom Act as, as wait. Uh, are you, are you, you counted the days on this? Because uh, you know I've, that would strike me as a real miscalculation uh, uh, by uh, the majority leader. Uh, I think he believes he has time to put his uh, two-month extension at least on the table. Well, they could pass it Saturday, but the House will be uh, will be gone. Um, so uh, they could act on it at some point when they return. But there would be at least a temporary sunset, and I find it pretty unlikely looking at the breakdown. I think the USA Freedom Act vote was like 338 to um, remember the 80-something, uh, and a lot of the no votes on that were actually the sort of hardcore uh, civil libertarian types, Justin Amash and, and uh, uh, other folks who uh, voted for uh, the Amash Amendment uh, defunding bulk uses of, uh, of 215. Um, so I think, I think even a, temp- a temporary authorization is actually uh, potentially a hard sell in the House. Um, so, uh, yeah, if, if they don't get uh, USA Freedom, which will not pass probably if, if McConnell whips against it, um, then we'll have at least a temporary sunset, and then it's a question of how long it will uh, be extended. We've heard that uh, 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 Burr is working on a, an alternative to USA Freedom, which will, uh, and I, this is bizarre to me, I've heard that one of the, one of the significant differences would be uh, instead of a six-month transition from the current model to uh, the sort of streamlined process for obtaining uh, telephone records from the carriers, um, that uh, it would it would be a 24 month a two year transition process, which is, um, I mean, uh, to my mind, somewhat bizarre since the intelligence community has said pretty explicitly six months is all they need. Uh, I mean, there was a letter that went out I think yesterday to that effect. Um, so uh, this is I, mean, I suppose a pattern here where uh, the the leadership in Congress is uh, along many dimensions. Uh, sort of more Catholic than the Pope here. They're, they're, uh, this is not novel, I guess. You get the, you know, the, the bombers that the Pentagon says they don't need, but that, um, you know, the Armed Services Committees want to, want to, um, well, come on now, but anyway, be, but be fair. The, the intelligence community has been told by the White House, you love this bill. Defend it. Uh, it's not as though uh, uh, this is a, a uniform position within the intelligence community or that you can even tell what the intelligence community sure. believes based on what they say when the White House is uh, standing behind them. I find, it, I find it unlikely that the president would just order them to sort of falsely represent uh, what, you, you haven't security. worked in government, have you? <laughs> no, they would I mean, have claims about, the, about whether they're operationally able to obtain the data they need under uh, the model contemplated here where... I think it's perfectly uh, obvious that they can't obtain the information in the same way. This, they're going to have to go to every single uh, um, carrier and ask them for this information, get it back in, the, uh, in different uh, protocols. Uh, well, no, that's the, that's the point of the streamlined 
process. I mean, the, 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 the reason they're not just doing this already without statutory authority, the reason they're not just uh, doing this with national security letters, which they certainly could do if they're going to get tar- targeted records and they don't have to bother with, uh, with judges, is, among other things, um, you know, under current law, they can be uh, they can compel the production of records that already exist. They can't create new records or insist that the records be reformatted. And so one of the things this process allows is for them to mandate technical assistance uh, in the production of, of, of the records, which is not part of current 215, and also uh, to mandate that the records be produced in a format useful to the government. And what that allows in principle is for them to specify a common format so that um, instead of having to go to one carrier and get, uh, you know, the records back and then go to each other carrier and say, okay, we need the records for their contacts that are in your system. Um, there's a, a, a unified ability to do this rapidly um, and in a kind of continuous way. Um, so, yeah, the, the point is to provide for an ability to do this, you know, never, never as fast as just having all the data in, uh, in-house. Um, that, that you're not going to exactly match that speed, um, but not that much more slowly. Well, I, I, all I can say, and I, I, I asked the people in this room, uh, if the if you had a major new uh, IT project and the guy who was running it said, "I'll deliver it in six months," would you take that to the bank? Yeah, I'm not sure that I would take it to the bank, uh, Michael. I think there's something uh, really important in this uh, in this process that's being largely lost, which is that the the debate affects not just the, the bulk metadata collection program, but also the roving wiretap program, yeah. which allows you to get an order that applies if somebody keeps switching phones, for example, or other means of communication, and also the, the lone wolf provision, uh, which allows you to get surveillance on someone who is not uh, affiliated with a designated terrorist group, or at least a, you don't know that he's uh, affiliated with a known terrorist group, and yet you know he's, he's engaged in terrorism. So if those things are going to lapse, if if there's not some sort of reauthorization, whether it's a USA Freedom version or just a straight-up reauthorization, unless there's somebody drafting an alternative bill that just addresses those things. Right. And then there's a third aspect, which is that Section 215 of the Patriot Act, of you know, is used for lots and lots of different types of uh, orders to get business records and other tangible things, because that's what the statute allows you to get access to, totally apart from telephony metadata. And so if 215 lapses, the government loses the ability to, to uh, get those sorts of orders. And I think you are starting to hear, certainly from the FBI, yeah. that that's what they're really concerned about. And yet that's not what Congress is talking about, at least not publicly at all. So uh, what is the position uh, over on uh, the um privacy side of the debate about uh, roving wiretaps and lone wolves. I mean, roving wiretap authority is enormously important in in an age of burner phones. Uh, It allows you to say, I'm following this guy and I'm going to tap whatever phone he's using as opposed to uh, uh, picking up a number and tapping only the number. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have yet to hear any privacy criticisms about that. Uh, Are the privacy folks in the uh, House holding that hostage just to get what they want on USA Freedom? I mean, in a way, those two things have just dropped out of the debate on both sides. I think you would hear more about them if uh, I mean, if the, the reauthorization camp were making a fuss of them or talking about the need to independently reauthorize them. But they, they've actually just been uh, almost wholly absent from the debate, um, which is a little surprising to me in the case of the roving wiretap authority. Um, there are things I would tweak about that authority, but 
I'm frankly not particularly eager to see that entirely removed. It does seem like something that is a legitimate power for them to have in an age of burner phones, even if, again, I might want a little bit more specificity in the way orders are targeted. If you look at what the OIG has done so far, it doesn't look like there have been serious problems with that authority that is used, you know, a moderate amount, but not constantly and used with reasonable specificity. Lone Wolf, I think it's kind of a wash here. As far as I know, last check, still haven't used this. So it's neither, you know, a threat to human freedom or a particularly essential tool. So it's probably not a huge deal if it expires. But, and it's not really clear to me why it's necessary, why tools specific to, just tools whose justification is the extraordinary sort of exigencies of dealing with persons affiliated with foreign powers, often foreign states and the resources involved with those, are necessary for the Lone Wolf case, why ordinary criminal authorities shouldn't suffice for someone who is effectively a solitary actor planning to commit crimes. But, yeah, it is surprising to me that the roving part hasn't come into this. And also that the other uses of 215 have been such a muted part of this. So that may change since there's a interestingly timed sort of, I think, years now in the making, Inspector General report on the use of 215 that was just released today in which most of us who are scrambling to figure out what's going on in the Senate have only just gotten a chance to crack into. But looks like it does have interesting coverage of that, which may reveal both the extent to which 215 is used in ways that are not about bulk telephony and also the extent to which there may be questions about the breadth of that, of those other orders. So last question for the panel. What's striking about this is that how many, how the presidential candidates have broken on this. Different candidates in both parties have taken different stands on this. I think Jeb Bush, Chris Christie, and Marco Rubio all said we like the old program, we want it to continue. Rand Paul had said, I don't think even USA Freedom goes far enough in protecting privacy. I want to kill everything if I can. Ted Cruz has said, I like USA Freedom, more or less, maybe a little improved. Bernie Sanders says he hates the current program, but I think Hillary is in favor of either the current program or USA Freedom. Do you remember which? I thought Hillary was saying she was on the reform side, although I haven't tracked that closely. Yeah, that would be my guess. So it is... Striking how divisive this is, even within the parties. I will say I'll note just because it's so rare a point a point where I may be closer to you than some of my my usual allies, which is that it does seem like since the the Second Circuit's ruling that the 215 bulk telephony program exceeds the statutory authority Congress intended to provide in the Patriot Act. 
there's been, I think, an emerging new consensus uh, represented in part by Rand Paul last night, who I think has had probably as many harsh words for USA Freedom as he did for the Patriot Act itself, and certainly a growing number of civil liberties groups, including the ACLU, that have uh, backed off their support for, for USA Freedom and um, are essentially now just urging sunset. I think that's uh, a mistake for a bunch of reasons, partly because there are transparency reforms um, I like, whether or not Stewart does, like requiring um, a publication of significant interpretations of law by the, the secret FISA court, um, but also because it covers a range of somewhat overlapping authorities. 215, the Business Records Authority, uh, Section 214, which is called the Pen Register or Trap and Trace Authority, which is a um, used for effectively real-time production of telecommunications metadata as opposed to records, and although it also concludes some authority to get records related to the real-time production, um, and national security letter authorities. And it creates a kind of parallel change across these authorities requiring um, specific selectors to be used in the request. So you can't just sort of say, we want every, uh, you know, every cell phone in New Jersey, but but rather here's the list of selectors of, of uh, either device identifiers or phone numbers. Uh, and I am concerned that if you only remove the business record authority, um, you create an incentive that I think would be unfortunate to uh, attempt to sort of reinflate um, the scope of national security letters, uh, which had been somewhat contract- contracted by an OLC memorandum, Office of Legal Counsel memorandum in 2008, um, in order essentially to get records that they are no longer able to obtain uh, under 215 via uh, via NSLs, which just require the sign-off of the special agent in charge of uh, any of 56 FBI field offices rather than an actual judicial, so, judicial so review. So if, if I understand your position, the ACLU wants the, the whole program to die because NSA is evil. You want USA Freedom to pass because NSA is evil uh, uh, and will we'll, cleverly reinflate. No, it's uh, because FBI. The FBI is clever. Um, and no, look, I, because I think these are sensitive records, and I would rather see them obtained pursuant to a court order, especially when it's done uh, this extraordinary level of secrecy um, than on the say-so of, uh, of an agent. So let me, since w- by the time uh, this podcast is a week old, uh, we will, everyone will know more than we know now. Sure. I'm going to turn to a topic on which we will certainly not know what we need to know, which is uh, insurance coverage for cyber events, because uh, uh, weird as it may seem, the Connecticut Supreme Court is where you go to find out about uh, what's covered by insurance uh, and what's not, and we've got a Connecticut Supreme Court decision. Uh, uh, Michael Allen, can you Take us into that and tell us how much it means. Yeah, I think I think I think there's an important lesson in the in this opinion. Let me just tell you the facts quickly. There was a, a contractor that was responsible for transporting and storing computer tapes uh, belonging to IBM that had a lot of sensitive personal information of IBM employees. And as always seems to happen with these uh, tape uh, storage companies. Uh, while the truck was going down the highway, somehow the back door opens up and the tapes just bounce it down the exit ramp and, and roll away and somebody gets them. This must have been New Jersey, uh, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure where, where it was. Uh, but this was a tough winter, you know, a lot of potholes, um, although this was a couple of years ago. Uh, anyway, um, IBM was not happy. They negotiated some sort of settlement with, the, with uh, uh, Recall Total Information Management is the name of the, the company. 
It's not run by Admiral Poindexter, as far as I know. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, they Tony Soprano. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> once once Recall had to pay IBM, it then went to an insurance carrier and said, you know, this is we're covered by insurance for this, right? Uh, what they had was a general liability policy and a general umbrella liability policy. They didn't have a cybersecurity uh, policy. Uh, and the Connecticut Supreme Court affirmed the lower court's uh, decision that, in fact, this sort of uh, loss was not covered by the policy because what the policy covered was personal injury, which was defined as including an injury caused by an offense of electronic, oral, written, or other publication of material that violates a person's right of privacy. And what the court essentially said was, there's no evidence that anybody ever looked at these tapes, let alone that the information was published in in any sense, uh, let alone that anybody's privacy was uh, violated. Therefore, it's not covered by this policy. Uh, And so I think the lesson is uh, a lot of companies are learning the hard way that uh, computer intrusions or other privacy violations are, not, are often not going to be covered by a general liability policy. You, you've got to get a, a specialized uh, uh, cybersecurity or privacy policy. And when you do that, you still got to be really careful in making sure that the language is broad enough to, to cover you. Well, go ahead. I was going to say that is that even if, the, even if you're talking about a specifically tailored uh, 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 policy, uh, the two things that, that that Michael hit on in the court said was that was that where you don't have a publication and you don't have a violation of a person's right to privacy that you can't prove that that this kind of a provision isn't isn't triggered even though IBM did everything that a company is supposed to do when it finds out there's a potential breach the notification the setting up of the call center the credit monitoring uh, and then they're going back and saying hey I did everything right. I should be covered for this. Yeah, it is It is weird. I mean, you, you kind of want to say, uh, uh, Connecticut Supreme Court, could you meet the FTC, which is going to assess uh, uh, damages or impose a consent decree because of the lost tapes, whether or not they were ever published? Right. And so, and the court here is saying, look, if we wind our way through the, the magic language of the insurance policy, there's been no lawsuit, right? Mm-hmm. There's been no n- proven publication, which... You know, as we we know, is is difficult to prove in any circumstance unless somebody starts flinging the information around. Um, you're not going to be able to recover uh, that, and that's not really the 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 incentive that we want to be right. throwing at people is wait until you get sued or wait until the information is everywhere before you begin taking these steps. So uh, IBM could now buy um, breach insurance, data breach insurance, and that would cover stuff like this, I assume, because this is for sure a data breach. But it's not IBM. It's total it's Sorry, total, total, total recall. Vendor. You're right. Sorry. Um, uh, they, uh, they could buy data breach insurance that would allow, that would cover them for the cost of the credit monitoring and defending the lawsuits and giving the notice. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, it, the, the opinion seems pretty inarguable to me, actually. I'm surprised they litigated this all the way. I mean, you look at the language, there wasn't a publication here. There wasn't a, uh, an injury of privacy. Uh, and this is consistent with the way courts are ruling in privacy uh, class actions, that if there's no evidence of actual identity theft, you can't, you can't recover based on your fear that, well, my personal information was taken by someone uh, and, you know, eventually I might be a victim of identity theft. Courts are saying either you don't have standing to bring a suit in federal court, or even if you do, you don't have a valid claim under under state tort law. 
But you're going to get caught in this kind of what's good for the goose is good for the gander problem because that's not necessarily what you want to be putting on the companies is, uh, is to take that position at the same time. You want them acting beforehand. So one of, the, one of the cool things that uh, uh, we discovered here at Yesenova was presentations by startups uh, that uh, have interesting new technology. And uh, one of the companies was Shavira. I don't know if George is still here, but uh, uh, that's a mobile pen testing uh, uh, outfit. The reason I come back to it is because uh, uh, Shavira had better sell that stuff abroad fast because the uh, uh, Department of Commerce has announced extraordinarily demanding regulations that will impose uh, restrictions on the export of software and tools that are used for penetration uh, uh, testing. Intrusion software is what they call it. And basically, uh, for those of you who are in that business, you know that uh, uh, you can't do pen testing without using encryption. And the government for the last few years has been using the encryption regulations on exports to as a way of getting a handle on uh, exports of uh, so, uh, software that does pen testing uh, and sales of pen testing services. Uh, they've decided that isn't good enough. The encryption rules were written to encourage a lot of exports. Uh, and so they have basically said, if you're in the intrusion software business, which means you evade monitoring systems and you extract information or modify programs on a network, uh, uh, you are going to have to get a, a license every time you export that product or sell it abroad. Uh, I, and um, for many of the products, they're not going to issue licenses. They're probably not going to issue licenses to most governments. Uh, uh, they're also restricting, uh, just to uh, add to the uh, um, Impact. Uh, they're also restricting uh, efforts to uh, or equipment that allows you to monitor IP networks to extract information about uh, people who are communicating on the network. Uh, the Genesis of this, of course, is, is a big uh, uh, focus of late on the sales of Western equipment that allows monitoring of individuals uh, uh, or intrusions into their soft into their computers for purposes of government monitoring. For example, during Arab Spring and elsewhere, uh, and now the government, the, the U.S. government, has said, "Well, we're not going to allow sales of this." The Europeans are moving in the same direction, uh, um, and it's going to be for a lot of people, a, a major uh, change in the way they do business and maybe in, in what business they can do. So we'll, we'll probably talk more about this in a later uh, uh, podcast when I can get some of my uh, uh, export control experts on. Can we get to the day. Nazi orgy now? Yes, yes, Nazi orgy. All right. Uh, it's not a Nazi orgy. This is the one thing. This is uh, – I, I don't know how many people are familiar with Max Mosley or his dad, Oswald Mosley, who was a famous fascist in Britain uh, uh, who uh, uh, was interned during World War II because because he had been such a notorious fan of Adolf Hitler uh, uh, in the run-up. Uh, uh, his son grew up trying to live down this reputation and uh, establish his own, and he's certainly done that. Uh, he became the head of Formula One Racing, uh, which he became moderately famous for. And then he had, a, at the age of 67, a five-hour five-hooker orgy with a sadomasochistic theme in which he got to whip 
uh, women. They got to whip him. Uh, and it was all uh, taped by a former uh, MI, or not a former, a current MI5 uh, uh, agent who was um, moonlighting. I... Of course, it ended up in the papers, and Mosley has spent five, ten years suing everybody, trying to get the pictures of him being whipped, whipping, uh, taken down, uh, and he's been remarkably successful. He he got the, uh, uh, the British papers to admit they had said it was a Nazi-themed orgy, and they admit uh, that it wasn't really. Uh, and I'm sure that was really that really restored his uh, reputation. Um, it, the reason I bring that up is that uh, in the wake of the European right to be forgotten, uh, the, uh, uh, the Mosley has been suing again, and he sued Google, saying, "Not only do I want all the newspapers to take these things down, but I want you to destroy all the links so nobody can find those pictures." Uh, uh, and Google has now settled with him, uh, and given his extraordinary litigiousness, you have to believe that Google has decided to give him a right to be forgotten, at least inside of Europe. So. And, and they settled only after they lost tw- uh, three times, oh, they really, got, they in France, kicked, yeah. uh, Ger- Germany, I think, and, and in the U.K. Yeah. So uh, I don't know uh, where um, Cato is on uh, um, privacy that is achieved through government regulation. Strikes me as a tough one for Cato. Uh, what, what, what's your view on this? Uh, you know, I think uh, this is a case where you may well have, certainly under British law, but even here, I think you may have a, a decent case for the suit against the original publishers of the information. Well, first, just for def- defamation, it was falsely claimed that he was, he was uh, parading in, in Nazi regalia. Um, that seems like it would it might well, uh, you know, meet the test of, uh, of actual malice or sort of reckless indifference to whether the allegation was true. Um, well, you'd, and you'd really, I, you'd, you'll have to go look at the video and the, the, the pictures to, to decide whether it was Nazi regalia or not, I think. Uh, Fair enough. Well, I can now. Um, it also seems like, I mean, this also incidentally seems like a, a perfect illustration of, of the Streisand effect. This is a term coined by uh, Mike Masnick from TechDirt to describe the problem of uh, Barbara Streisand suing to try and take offline photos of her uh, her home that had been taken from aerial uh, aerial, aerial photography, uh, and of course the fact that she was uh, suing to try and take something off the internet caused these to have vastly vastly wider distribution than they ever would have had. Um, I mean, this is a, a case in point. I had forgotten all about this. Uh, Max well, she, she just she really just missed her moment. If she had waited till a drone had taken her picture, she could be a privacy hero. She, well, <laughs> Perhaps, uh, but uh, but she, she was behind the curve, I guess, or ahead of the curve, too far ahead of the curve. Uh, but no, in this case, I, I, I think I had certainly forgotten all about this story, um, except that now it's in the news again because they settled with Google. So um, there seems to be a certain counterproductiveness there. Also, I think we all understand that it's sort of futile. That the more, especially if um, it, it is sort of genuinely newsworthy because of his continued actions, um, these you know, the photographs are out there. They're going to they're going to circulate, and uh, you know. Uh, as I think China has learned, if you try and uh, limit access to things by banning certain keywords, people find workarounds, and that ultimately, um, you know, the, these images once out are, are not uh, not rebottleable. Um, but no, of course, so, I, you know, I, it, it just occurred to me that maybe the Streisand effect is what he's after. He wants us to look at him and so he may be a secret and, exhibitionist and, well, and say, sixty-seven mm-hmm. years old, five hours. 
I mean, it's possible. I mean, I mean, you know, the internet is full of people who uh, try to foist nude images of themselves on others. To, and everyone sort of just tries to, turns away and says, "Please don't." That's um, even but, better. It's better than the Chinese pandas. So he, yeah. he, he may have succeeded in finding a way of, of encouraging people to look at uh, images of him in, in, in the middle of sexual activity. But more seriously, right? I think I think uh, you know whatever he's due from the people who published the images, either for defamation or invasion of privacy. Um, yeah, the attempt to translate that into an obligation on the part of uh, of intermediaries to be responsible for policing links, um, when again, because of things like his own uh, uh, suit, um, that the information may in fact be legitimately newsworthy, fall under uh, you know, sort of a, a, a sort of exception that, that does make it uh, uh, kind of permissible to circulate. Uh, in that context, uh, and that, that asking companies like Google to adjudicate, um, you know, to make that kind of effectively news judgment, which publications may be used to doing, but um, I think intermediaries probably shouldn't be, um, is a mistake, and, and you results in this kind of unfortunate fragmentation where certain things are searchable in the United States, but not uh, Germany, and. Uh, ultimately has the effect of not really limiting the circulation of this stuff anyway. Well, with regret, we're going to leave the Nazi orgy and return to our regularly scheduled programming uh, with the uh, U.S. indictment of an additional six Chinese spies uh, stealing intellectual property. Uh, uh, Alan, what can you tell us about it? Yes, yeah, so we have the next uh, installment of this kind of clash of clans. We lob the indictment over the wall. They shoot the, can- the great cannon back at us, and now we, we, shoot, we lob another set of indictments over. So unlike the first set of indictments, uh, which were indictments of sitting uh, PLA officers, now we have uh, a set of six uh, professors and uh, and ostensible entrepreneurs who uh, and several, we have some of them in custody we have one of them in custody we have uh, so you have uh, a number uh, several um, Chinese nationals who came to USC uh, and uh, oh, well, got <laughs> as a UCLA grad I you say right, more right. <laughs> <laughs> so they got their doctorates and went into um, uh, out into uh, into uh, different companies uh, including. Um, <clears throat> U.S. companies Avago Technologies and Skyworks Solutions, both working on uh, this film bulk acoustic resonator technology, which goes into cell phones and kind of filters out um, unnecessary signals. Um, and they hatch on the idea, um, after having split up from, from USC, that, well, it's all great to be working for these companies, but maybe we should take all of their intellectual property, ship it back home to China, and start up our own companies doing this. Uh, and they go about gathering up this intellectual property um, and really not making much of a secret out of it. One of the uh, the, the individuals, the one who is at uh, Avago, um, going, ahead to, going ahead and actually writing to the group by email saying, my work here is to make every possible effort to find out about the process, processes, every possible detail, and copy directly to China. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of other statements like this. And the way, uh, the way they were found out, if I recall correctly, is that they've applied for a U.S. patent with using Avagos, wasn't that, that even was better? Even better. One of their faculty advisors is at a conference in China about five years after they graduate, and he said, "I want to go see my students uh, who had worked and now come back to China. They're they're professors at a university. They have a lab. I want to come see what they're doing." 
And so he goes in to visit with them, to see them, to congratulate them. And he says, huh, I recognize this technology. <laughs> this technology has been stolen from companies in the United States. Uh, research that was partially funded by the Defense Department, research that has ended up in all, in all of the, you know, all sorts of um, uh, technological applications. And he makes a complaint to the university president and he makes a complaint to, to, to the individuals and he hears nothing. Um, so now you have uh, the United States Attorney for the Northern District of California, um, together with the with the National Security Division, uh, issuing this indictment uh, against these six individuals. One uh, can, uh, at the same time, I guess, or, or linked to uh, one of the individuals coming to uh, to the United States for a conference. Uh, he lands yeah, at I uh, LAX. How he got invited. Uh, yes, exactly, and he's greeted uh, by the U.S. government. Uh, in a style that's um, that's befitting of, of his activities, uh, but the other the others are still in China, and so it puts us back into that same situation to a certain degree uh, where things were last spring. We have a nascent dialogue process progressing between the United States and China on all things cyber. Uh, there's there's nascent agreement. Uh, that there's going to be communication and coordination. And then the United States goes ahead and indicts people, and the Chinese cut off the, the discussions. In this instance, though, at that point, we, we indicted, the United States government indicted sitting you know, officers in the, in, the, in the People's Liberation Army. In this instance, though, you have individuals who are part of state universities, are part of state companies, but they're not sitting officials of the Chinese government. Uh, and so you have a... a at least a different enough situation for the United States, again, as we talked about it in the last podcast, to say, look, we keep talking about you stopping this from happening. And you keep saying, tell us what is going on and we'll investigate. Uh, and then we tell uh, the United States government tells them and they said, well, we investigated uh, and we need more information, more information. So here here you have, again, uh, individuals not in the government this time. You have a long indictment and you have the opportunity for the, the U.S. government to say, I want this, 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 this and this done. Uh, but then, you know, that, that raises to me the interesting question, which I don't think is in the indictment at all, um, of whether these guys did this on their own or whether they had sponsorship uh, of some sort from the Chinese government all along to set up the company, uh, which I think is often the case in the in these in these thefts. Right. Of, Although of I, trade did, I wasn't sure I saw that in this case. Well, no, so, I didn't. But that doesn't mean it's not there. Right. And you see that insinuated in the in the in the uh, press release, either coming from uh, uh, from the FBI from the head of the FBI's San Francisco division, saying that the. Conduct uh, reveals a methodical and relentless effort by foreign interests to obtain and exploit sensitive and valuable U.S. technology, uh, and then and then he goes on to say, to, to characterize this as a complex foreign government-sponsored scheme uh, to do so. Um, so you don't see it in the indictment, uh, but you see it in kind of the atmospherics uh, that and the, the involvement of the counter-espionage section of the of the FBI, of the uh, of the Justice Department. I think the other thing it puts on the table uh, is this question about sanctions. So now you have uh, the the new executive order that that's come out uh, that allows you to sanction non-state actors, right, who are beyond the reach of, of law enforcement. Uh, in this instance, you have an indictment now, uh, so there's there's nothing to be jeopardized by by looking to sanction uh, um, in the absence of an indictment, and you have. 
organizations, a university in China, uh, researchers at that university, who are so clearly actually, beyond the reach of the Let, of the let court. me ask you about that, uh, because they, they, uh, I, it's true we could use the sanctions program, but uh, the university, it always struck me that DHS, if they cared about this, uh, they control the granting of uh, visas. If they just said, uh, excuse me, the last time you s- sent a student here, he stole uh, the place blind. Uh, so we're not granting any more visas from your university for the next five years. Uh, that would be devastating for a, a Chinese university. Well, I think that's right. I think that this case now presents the next test of the U.S. government's resolve and using all of the different tools that it has uh, to line up behind uh, an indictment like this and, and try to force action. So um, let me switch gears. Uh, um, The uh, those of you who follow uh, these podcasts know that uh, I am a uh, confirmed advocate of letting people who are victims of uh, hacking attacks do more, at least to track their stuff and try to get it back or to identify their hackers, and that they shouldn't be uh, confined to just trying to build higher walls around their network. Uh, And I've been very critical of the Justice Department for uh, having uh, um, tried to discourage people from doing that and and arguing that uh, the law makes it illegal to do anything of that sort. Uh, And I I will report a kind of success, uh, although not the success you usually hope for. Uh, We have really gotten under the Justice Department's skin because they are now giving speeches and doubling down on this policy that says you should stay inside your network walls uh, and um, if you want help, call us. We're the professionals. Uh, You shouldn't do anything. So the new head of the criminal division has made speeches saying this uh, uh, and they even pulled together a group of CISOs uh, uh, to uh, have a uh, a, a dialogue with uh, Jim Lewis at uh, uh, the Center for Strategic and International Studies uh, that I think was designed to try to deal with some of the more awkward problems that I have pointed out. Uh, One of the things that I pointed out was that uh, uh, often when your stuff is stolen, it sits on a command and control server somewhere halfway to to Beijing, uh, and it might sit there for a few hours or a day uh, while the guy who set up the process of exfiltrating the data um, has coffee, goes uh, uh, you know, and uh, uh, checks all of his other traps, and then checks to see whether anything has been downloaded by the automatic software he set going uh, to this particular C2 uh, machine. So if you're quick enough, and you can often get the credentials for the C2 machine just by looking at your logs because it tells you what uh, what the signals were going out. You can go back, you can go there, and you can get there before the guy who was uh, stealing it does and maybe take it back or re-encrypt it or something of the sort. Um, I said that you'll never get help from the government fast enough to do this. Uh, as the National Rifle Association says, uh, when um, uh, seconds count, the police are only minutes away. Uh, and And they try to get these CISOs, they get these CISOs to say, oh, we wouldn't do that because we couldn't be fast enough. And I frankly find that hard to believe. I, 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 first, the CISOs don't know. They're not going to say to the Justice Department, uh, 
oh, yeah, the last time I broke into somebody else's system to try to get my data back, uh, I wasn't fast enough uh, or I was fast enough. Uh, uh, they're going to they're gonna say, oh, I wouldn't know about that, but I, I couldn't possibly work. So I, they've released a paper. It's worth reading uh, uh, in which uh, CISOs and the Justice Department uh, uh, engage in a love fest in which the CISOs say, oh, we would never, never, never do anything you don't approve of. Uh, and the Justice Department says, good CISOs, good CISOs. Uh, uh, but uh, I have to say it was not the most persuasive uh, uh, point, except uh, for this purpose. Uh, it shows they really are getting sensitive to this. Uh, uh, and I hope to continue to make them sensitive. Although it is not titled uh, Combating the Stuart Baker Doctrine. It, it is yeah. not, but I, uh, I choose to read it that way. Uh, I tell you, I, I, tell you I, I thought this was the strangest document, and I, th- I thought you would have claimed victory um, in a couple of provisions. You know, it, it says in footnote two, this is not the, the view of the Justice Department. We're just uh, basically giving you the minutes of the meeting, and this is what the CISOs talked about. Uh, and yet it does, it does seem like they're trying to put these ideas out there. And one of the, one of the things they say is that even though Hackback, you know, not, not a lot, very few companies actually do it, uh, it did give you the sense that companies at least say that some of them are uh, going to find stolen data that's stored on hot points and accessing it, not necessarily to bring it back, but at least to gather intelligence about it and maybe to do stuff. Now, it seems to me if the Justice Department thinks that hacking back to damage the bad guy's computer is a violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, accessing somebody else's computer, even if it's a hop site, just to, uh, find, just stuff to find stuff out is still a violation of the CFAA. Why are they that. not so, saying so that? So what, the, what, what they are saying here, this is, this is so weird, They're, they have to recognize that the getting into C2 uh, uh, machines is an important part of intelligence gathering and responding to the attacks. But what they are careful to say is, oh, we get in by serving process in the United States. We get the FBI to get a search warrant uh, or we get consent from the victim uh, who own, actually owns the C2 machine who's been hacked by the, uh, uh, the PLA uh, attackers. Uh, and when he finds out one, I've been hacked, uh, and two, it could expose me to liability to this guy who just called me up and said, by the way, did you know that you exfiltrated a bunch of data from my system and that that's a felony? Uh, but don't worry, if you give me access to your machine, I won't press charges because I'm sure you're just an innocent victim. That's how they get it. But, but then they, there's another paragraph that says, the most common scenarios for obtaining the credentials for accessing a hot point involve capturing the credentials in plain text during a file transfer protocol session. So that's the outgoing so everybody who does security right these days has immensely uh, 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 instrumented uh, uh, systems so that they know every byte that leaves their system. So among the bytes they, they, they capture are the bytes where the automatic uh, da- document stealing software logs in to the command and control server, gives a uh, login name and a password, uh, and then dumps the data into it. So but, you don't have to, you're getting that as it leaves your system. Right, right? but you're still – but that doesn't mean you have authorization from no, the owner of the right. C2. So, so you so wonder why so – So this is – they're not using legal process here. They're not getting the consent of the owner of the C2. Yes. So why is the Justice Department okay with putting this in here? This is still a violation well, of the CFAA. I, good, good point. If they're doing, well, it's not a violation. Under, under, some, under their own reading of the CFAA. So it's not a violation to capture it. It's just a violation to, 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 to use it. But you could do kind of wonder, 
how do the CISOs know they've got this stuff if they're not supposed to be using it? Well, it says, it says this is the most common scenario for, for gaining access to this stuff. It's very, it's, yeah. There's a lot of creative use of the passive voice. Yeah, of, yeah. Of, yeah. There are things we want done and we do it and, or somebody does it. And then there are things that, that just happen. These things occur. So, so I, I, let, let me, let me ask the audience. So, uh, uh, how many of you think it would be hopeless to try to recover files in the fashion that I just described uh, and not worth thinking about it? Uh, anybody think that, that, that that's just not practical, which is what this says? One. Okay. Uh, how many people think it is practical, to be fair? Okay. All right. I'm not. You're. You're. We're not. We're not videotaping you. We're not asking if you actually have done it. How many? How many? How many think it's legal? How many think it's legal? I don't know. Yeah. I. I, I, We're not crickets. (laughs) Well, let me. Just back up and say. I think you know. I agree. Also, right. It's nothing. It's hopeful. Not that. Well, this will never work. uh, But that is it going to work often enough without uh, sort of collateral damage? Does it make sense to? Uh, to, to have that be sort of the policy uh, in cases like this, especially when I mean, it's like you're talking as though uh, you know any machine that uh, is is uh, uh, the, you know on the receiving end of a dump outgoing from uh, uh, from ACK is is the bad guy. Which, no, 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 uh, not at all. They're all they, they are all victims, so for sure. But these are people who, through their negligence or at least their errors have enabled an attack on your machine. Uh, so it's not like they're the most innocent uh, babes in the woods, or maybe they're babes, but uh, uh, they're not innocent. So. I mean, really? You didn't update your browser? You're no angel? I mean, is that... Uh, well, look, uh, look this, is, this is somebody who has tolerated the PLA or some other hacker sitting in their their machine, using it for all these purposes, and they're going to get so mad This is not some Bush you. doctrine uh, yeah, level okay, stuff. Yeah. As well, even those who fail to keep their system patched are, uh, are are harboring the terrorists. Well, they they don't get to complain selectively about me going back to get my stuff off of their system if they've been letting other people use it for criminal purposes. It's a, it, it, it strikes me as uh, as between the p- people who are victims here, the guy who uh, uh, decides he wants to complain about the second person who breaks into his machine is hardly the most deserving of relief. That's like I, Nixon I have some and bad Cambod- news about the meth ring I've been running from your home. So yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yes, I, I, you know, now that I think about it, uh, they could... Uh, the Justice Department could probably seize the computer, right? Uh, and and let's not give them ideas. Uh, okay, um, the encryption debate. Uh, a, we got, you know, what I think of as the usual suspects. Suspects writing the usual letter, a long letter from industry and academics saying to the uh, uh, Obama administration, please don't uh, endorse backdoors. Instead, endorse uh, unbreakable encryption everywhere. Uh, that's because there is a, justice to, uh, there is a, a White House uh, uh, policy process on how to respond to the concerns the FBI has been raising for the last year or two uh, about uh, uh, the default encryption policies of companies like uh, Google and Apple. Um, uh, Julian, let me let you make the first observation about uh, this uh, uh, this letter. Uh, uh, my guess is it's um, it, it's certainly significant for the fact that it's a two-page letter with four pages of uh, signatures, uh, and uh, uh, 
Uh, I think the chances before the letter that the administration was going to endorse backdoors were zero, and they're zero again. Uh, uh, so um, I'm puzzled over the attention that this is getting. Well, although, you know, Jim Comey keeps trying and keeps talking about it, so I have to infer that at least he hasn't concluded that this is futile, um, even though I'm inclined to agree. I don't, I don't see... Uh, any imminent action or find it likely that uh, legislation uh, enabling this kind of backdoor mandate would pass. Um, but, you know, I mean, let's be honest, in terms of, of uh, political influence, um, you know, I guess, you know, Matt Blaze and Steve Belvin could could write a, a you know, 40-page uh, computer science article explaining for the benefit of legislators uh, in, in detail some of the technical obstacles to creating uh, sort of secure uh, – uh, kleptographic backdoors, but uh, they're not going to read that. Um, the the effect is going to be, you know, the tech people seem to think this is uh, uh, unlikely to be effective without causing still greater security problems, and the names seem credible. And you know, and maybe that's reasonable. I don't think the modal legislator is um, is probably qualified to to independently assess uh, the quality of. Uh, uh, you know, something in the computer science journal. So, yeah, that's why, you know, of course there's a, a brief summary and, and four pages of signers. Um, but it is, and it's sufficiently impressive, at least uh, on the corporate side, uh, the, that I, I think that's, uh, uh, it does make it, if anything, even less likely. So, yeah, I, 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 I feel about the academics. Uh, I said this to somebody today uh, on the Hill. I said, uh, Gee, if you asked uh, 40 professors from schools of social work all across the United States uh, whether they had studies showing that health and human services should get more funding, I guarantee you they would all say they had studies that proved that, uh, that we were underfunding health and human services, uh, and you would take those studies all with a grain of salt. But the unanimity of prejudice uh, in the academic uh, crypto community uh, outside of government is equally strong. Uh, uh, those guys um, simply are not going to say something that's politically incorrect that, that favors backdoors in, in encryption. At the same time, I find the, the basic statement um, that backdoors are always bad and will never work uh, and therefore should never be adopted, peculiar. Um, because, every again, this is a computer security group. Uh, my guess is that every one of you work in a corporation that does man-in-the-middle attacks on the only really universal default encryption that the Internet has actually adopted, which is uh, uh, TLS SSL. Uh, but you cannot let people set up their own TLS pipelines out of your system because the hackers will use those uh, pipelines uh, to dump all your data out and you won't see it go. So everybody does a man-in-the-middle attack and breaks the crypto. It's a backdoor. Uh, and so the idea that uh, no one likes backdoors, they're always evil, uh, uh, is sort of inconsistent with our actual experience in life. I don't think what you're describing is what I would call a backdoor in the sense they're talking about. Um, first, um, well, I, no, I, I guarantee you, the FBI would be quite happy if uh, uh, Google showed him a way to man in the middle of every SSL uh, uh, connection that he encountered. I'm, so I'm not sure what you're what you're referring to there. I mean, you're talking about a, a, a 
Well, I, I assume you were talking about some kind of uh, blocking of traffic on certain no, ports. Or, no, what, or, what you do is you, you get you, you, you get in the middle. The, the person is sending an SSL request to uh, uh, Yahoo, uh, and uh, you say, "Hey, I'm Yahoo." I've got a certificate here to prove it. Uh, oh, you're talking about right? Uh, like, right? Like, uh, okay, well, so and then, and wait then, a minute. I remember during the SOPA fight, you you uh, uh, urging very strongly that uh, uh, that mandates for for sort of uh, no, I did, I, that, I, I, that involved that would right, uh, right. would be would would be bad. Well, from I, 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 I did think it would be bad. That was because of its impact on another technology. But still, it is extraordinarily common. And yes, it got, it has risks. But we all take the risks because we think the alternative is worse, and in this case, it probably is. And, and that's all that the FBI is saying: is that uh, the alternative, having uh, encryption we can't get into, is so bad that uh, we think we should take the relatively modest risk that uh, someone will find a way to exploit it that shouldn't find a way. I think r- routine forging of certificates is not, I, I think, a thing. I'm, I'm hearing. I mean, uh, well, the, corporations the, uh, don't forge them; they actually install them in your browser when you right. when you get one uh, is it, but is it, it is it's a it's a mechanism for uh, for breaking unbreakable uh, end-to-end encryption uh, which is what the FBI is trying to get I think there's a difference between uh, talking about something like right, administrator access to systems uh, within a corporate network and saying uh, in general there has to be an obligation on all devices and all providers uh, to to guarantee this capability and it's not um, I think you're doing this again right it's not well it'll never work it'll uh, you know in no instance will a backdoor ever be usable for any good thing it's that on net uh, the the security risk introduced by common Compounding the already extraordinarily hard problem of designing uh, secure, pro- uh, 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 secure software and secure products that function well um, when they don't additionally have the obligation to architect a breach uh, for a specific party designing the device to work against, in effect, its own user, um, that you introduce greater uh, greater liability than than the benefit uh, you generate, especially I think when you when you consider how this is supposed to interact with, uh, you know, open source devices or open source uh, uh, software services and, 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 and peer-to-peer protocols. SSL has um, all those issues, and yet we break it every day, and we're glad that we, we can. Uh, uh, so I, it, it seems to me that uh, the the theological position that you should never do this, it will never work, it will never be worth the effort, uh, is is not consistent with uh, uh, the way the world is actually working. And uh, I have a uh, uh, this one website I, I read which talks occasionally about uh, global warming and uh, Al Gore's jet travel, uh, uh, which contains a tagline, I'll believe it's a crisis when the people who are warning about it say it's a crisis. I feel that way about this. Uh, we know that every thousand lines of code you write introduces exploitable errors into your code. So I will believe that Silicon Valley is serious about this when they stop adding code to their existing products. They are not going to do that because they think it's worth the risk that they're taking uh, in order to get the benefit of, of uh, the new features. Uh, uh, this is just a feature that they prefer not to see as valuable. All right. Uh, last topic, uh, uh, the Radio Shack, right? Back to the 80s. Uh, they're bankrupt, uh, and they have 
well, they have all your data. They have all my data from the days when we used to go there. And the question is, what is going to happen to all that data in bankruptcy court? Uh, uh, so, Alan, uh, what's going to happen? Yes. Yeah, so our, our requiem for the, 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 the late and lamented Radio Shack. So this is this is the 1980s has, has called and, and they want their data back. So. Radio Shack, obviously, as you know, went out of, uh, went into bankruptcy. Uh, the proceedings were bifurcated. Um, they sold the physical locations first uh, to a company that then uh, is going to repurpose and repackage them uh, as co-branded stores with Sprint. Uh, held back uh, were was the intellectual property, was the uh, was the customer list, the contact list, all of the uh, all the electronic data uh, to be auctioned separately. Um, uh, f- uh, for uh, under a separate process, and it turns out that the same uh, same bidder ended up um, uh, bidding uh, for both uh, for both pieces. But a, a fight broke out between uh, the the bidding process and the and the state attorneys general and a number of other parties about what of this data could be sold uh, in the bankruptcy process. Um, so the state attorneys general weighed in, the federal trade commission. Weighed in. Um, this is about 67 million uh, uh, customer records, uh, with about eight and a half million of them having, uh, including an address, and then about 200,000 email addresses that weren't associated with a physical mailing address. Um, and it started out that this was 170 data fields uh, potentially associated with uh, with uh, all of this information, and it was whittled down, 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 just to seven. Data fields and with the FTC and the states, uh, state attorneys general weighing in, saying that really this is going to be a problematic settlement uh, unless you adhere to a couple of conditions. Uh, number one, you can't sell the data alone; it's got to be part of a larger piece. Number two, it's got to go to uh, be purchased by someone who's in basically the same business, the same line of business. Um, and third, they have to agree to abide by the privacy policies. If they take it over, um, and so the the court cleverly put them into one of those all day mediation sessions where they lock the door and tell you, "I hope you brought your toothbrush because you're staying here until we're done." Um, and they whittled it down to to those conditions, which were modeled on a on a 2000 bankruptcy of um, uh, of an online toy retailer. Um, and so, and you got to a settlement. And in fact, there was a company that came in at the last minute, put in a much higher bid uh, for just the electronic records. Uh, and the bankruptcy, ju- bankruptcy judge rejected uh, that bid to reopen the, the bidding. Um, on the one hand, through some tortured interpretation of bankruptcy statutes, and on the other hand, by saying that would really blow up this deal that we just made. Um, in a sense, uh, you know, not to not to um, put aside the the, the legal. Uh, pieces of the, the bankruptcy proceedings of it, but the case is almost quaint in a sense that, well, first of all, the stores went for more than the data did, and we'll right. see how many more cases are like that. But number two, um, those conditions, the idea that, that you know, we're rapidly reaching a point where the data is going to be the most valuable asset a company going into bankruptcy has. Um, and of course, all sorts of companies are going to come in wanting to buy that, and the idea that you're going to find someone in the in the same business who's just going to Pick it up and curate it just like it was is, you know, um, it's kind of a period piece. So. Yeah. So I, 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 uh, I think we should close since we, uh, um, uh, uh, introduced the, uh, uh, Mosley case with this question. Which, in the end, is more embarrassing? Being exposed for a 
five-hour, five-hooker, sadomasochistic orgy, or having it revealed to the public that you consistently bought the extended warranty. I... <laughs> All right. Thank you, Julian Sanchez. It was a pleasure. Alan Cohn, Michael Vadis. Uh, uh, as a reminder, we are uh, open to feedback. Uh, send questions, uh, suggestions for interview candidates, topics to cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com. We're getting lots of those suggestions, and we've been acting on them as much as we can. Um, if you'd like to leave a message uh, by phone, you can uh, call us at 202-862-5785. I have promised, in addition to uh, pro bono representation, I have promised to uh, play the most entertainingly abusive uh, uh, messages, and we have not gotten a lot of entertainingly abusive messages. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll work on that. Yeah, please. Uh, surely that can be done. Uh, this is the age of Twitter. Uh, this has been Episode 68 of the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Coming soon, we've got interviews with um, Jason Brown, who, interv- who manages the cyber intelligence section of the Secret Service, Dan Kaminsky, the chief scientist of White Ops, and Jim Baker, general counsel of the FBI. I will be sure to give them your regards, Julian. Um, we hope that you'll join us as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government.